Kongs Archons. Welcome to Sanctimonious, a Keyforge podcast where two zealous Keyforge players discuss various topics regarding combat within the Crucible. Stand at attention and salute your hosts, Sir Jake Sir Alex. and Sir Dan. Welcome back to another episode of Sanctimonious. This is Jake and I'm joined by our newest and a fan favorite co-host, Alex Slotnick. Alex, how are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. And uh, I mean, I like that I'm the fan favorite now. I, I I thought that I was the least liked one. So it's good to know that I'm the favorite. Well, I think it's like, you know, familiarity breeds contempt type of thing. Yeah, so yeah. enjoy it while it lasts. They, they love to hate. They love to hate us. <laughs> That's right. I am pretty excited for this week's topic. So it's just to give our fantastic, wonderful listeners a roadmap of where we're going, we'll be talking a little bit about the Vault Tour Albany and some of the top decks there and what it means for Keyforge's metagame. And then talking a little bit about uh, the dichotomy of luck versus skill in competitive Keyforge. So I'm pretty excited. Does that sound good to you? Oh, it sounds great. I'm, I'm excited to dive in. We didn't talk about this, but do you want to do a weekly inspiration? Yeah, yeah, I, I can do an inspiration. Cool. I think we had a couple of new listeners. Maybe you found us after the hiatus. So typically what we do is a segment called Inspiration, where we just talk about one Keyforge thing that inspired us in some way over the past week. just got back from my vacation. I was in Florida, uh, which was fantastic. Weather was really amazing. Um, it was very cold when I got back to Oklahoma, so I was uh, sad to to leave. Um, but while I was there, I actually got to hit up a uh, uh, some in-real-life play um, and uh, hit up a local chain bound at Cool Stuff uh, South Orlando. Uh, just give a shout-out to them. It was a great shop. Um, they have a great local community, had a, had a, had a blast. Um, we did, uh, just a three round field event, went 2-1, uh, lost to Tribute Brackus, uh, which is always, always sad, but also <laughs> awesome. Um, I, I love it. It's fun. And, uh, you know, it was just for me, I think what, what inspired me about that kind of going out there, uh, and I'll talk, I won't get too much because this is actually influencing a little bit of, of what, you know, even brought up uh, our main topic for this week. But I just was really interested in uh, the dichotomies of uh, local metas and how local metas evolve and how they can be so different from, um, you know, your flavor, or your neck of the woods. And that really, um, it really excited me about Keyforge and that there's like so much room to explore with the game. Um, and even just like overlooked strategies that maybe aren't the most popular or they're not the thing that everybody's searching out for, but are really powerful in their own right. So that was, that was cool. It was really, and I just, honestly, I just had a blast. Everybody's really nice. I handed out some of the podcast cards and uh, they're like, so you're a host, but you're not on the cards. And I'm like, well, it's a new thing. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, it was, it was a fun though. I had a, I had a really good time. Yeah, that's fantastic. The funny thing about those cards too is my name is actually not really right. It's my like Jake Freed username type of thing that's on there. So <laughs> I think Dan showed them to me. It was like, this look good? I'm like, yep, ship it. And then I go to the cards. I was like, that's actually not my real last name, but. It is now. I mean, everybody knows that's your name. What are you going to do? That actually also reminds me, uh, editing the podcast last week, you know, insert our regular intro. And it's like, your host, Jake and Dan. It's like, okay, well, we need to probably update this as well. <laughs> that, that probably will not be updated in this episode, but soon we're, we're working on a new one. Someday coming in your ear hole. Uh, well, my inspiration, I actually just had my birthday this past weekend, and it was a, a, a fantastic uh, time. I got a lot of board gaming in. I got to watch my Kansas City Chiefs win the AFC Championship game. So all in all, a great weekend. Uh, but nothing really uh, Keyforge-wise to talk about until Tuesday, the day after my birthday. And a uh, package arrived in the mail, and I had no idea what it was. And my partner, Bridget, had actually bought for my birthday a whole case of worlds collide decks so i got 12 Ooh. i got a display uh it's actually the first 
display I've opened in in my ever in Keyforge, just because I've never really been kind of a bulk purchaser. So that was just so much fun ripping open all of them immediately. Uh, and I got some really fun stuff. So uh, that was just super exciting. And also, it was nice, uh, a very supportive gesture from my partner, who's not necessarily yeah. like a huge gamer, super into Keyforge or anything like that, just to be like, hey, I, I support what you're doing. And, and that was really nice. She loves that it's important to you. <laughs> Thank you, Bridget. That's awesome. Well, you ready to move on to our main topic? Let's hit it. Let's dive right in and look at some of these top decks. Uh, I guess we'll really be focusing on sort of the top four decks of Albany. I'm just interested in hearing what your your thoughts are on what this reveals about competitive Keyforge today. Um, so, I mean, you know, my, my initial thoughts seeing the top 16 decks was Keyforge is in a really good place, I think, in terms of the variety of things we see bubbling up to the surface. Um, if we flash back to only like, you know, three or four months ago before Worlds Collide dropped, it hasn't been more than four months. It hasn't been that long. You know, if we flash back to when it was just AOA, we really were in a world where Coda was pretty dominant and in particular Shadows and I think to a, a little bit of a lesser extent, Diff, um, were very dominant. Um, and so I think we see at least, um, some other houses bubbling up to the top. We see shadow, the shadows, um, you know, uh, percentage of decks played dropping at least a little bit and like seeing some other houses kind of get into the mix. And I think that's a really exciting place to be for the game. And I think it's a really healthy and necessary. I think if World Collide hadn't diversified, um, the, uh, diversified the game a little bit, it would, the game might actually be in a kind of a rough spot. But I think it's really positive for the game that World Collide has been pretty well received by the community. What about you? What are, what are your what are your thoughts? Uh, just initial thoughts. I, I totally agree with you. I think that it is a good place. My just initial thought is like, wow, Saurians are really good. Yeah. You know, and I mean, and that's not to say that it's it's Shadows Coda level of like dominating the meta, but I think they're you know, when Worlds Collide came out, uh, there are some questions, of course, like, how is this going to stack up in the metagame? I think most people did think, like, yeah, these decks could be competitive. But it's pretty clear to me, based on our, our sort of initial results, and, and specifically, like, Archon results, which is what we're talking about here, that, you know, when you're picking your deck, you need to be able to fight against Saurian lineups. And, yeah. and I mean, that to me, like, if you are needing to ask those questions, like, can I deal with, you know, big warded guys? Can I deal with like massive Amber tricks with tribute and, and exile and all, all those things? I mean, Imperial Scutum, for instance, is like making people prioritize bounce effects in, in ways that they haven't had to in the past. I mean, bounce effects have always been good, but now they seem even more important. And, and to me, like the fact that those questions are coming up, I'm seeing them in our Discord. Uh, you know, that to me, it points to the fact that like this is a meta-defining sort of event that we're witnessing. Absolutely, absolutely, and it's just, I mean, the uh, Keyforge is fundamentally different than it was before Worlds Collide. It, um, I think Coda was marked by a, you know, a kind of a board irrelevant. Um, often it just didn't, you just didn't have to worry too much about the creatures that were on board. There weren't, there were threats, but usually the, I would say that the creature threats were fairly min, min, minimal and light in, um, and mostly I would, I think that the most, well, I don't want to say that. So I think that there were just not as many impactful creatures or as many creatures that could just completely flip the, the game state if they're ignored. As there are in Worlds Clyde, there are just a lot, not only in Starian, but I think in several of the, all of the houses have at least one or two creatures that like, even like, I mean, we can talk about Babbling Bibliophile, right? Babbling Bibliophile 
is a pretty unremarkable card. It's a one one strength, um, but it has such a power a one strength, not elusive, but it has such a powerful reap effect that you have to respect it. Um, and uh, you know, you know what card has surprised me, and we're, we're not. I don't think it's any of the decks to talk about, it, but I'll briefly mention it. It's Simon. Simon's a really funny card to me because when whenever Simon gets on the board, I'm like that that thing has to die. It's so <laughs> like it's gonna be like if I don't kill that. And sometimes it makes your turn really awkward because even just having to fight into this one strength guy, um, you just it changes the equation of your turn a lot um, because he's something that really a lot of times you can't afford to ignore because you can't have you can't be slowed down by a creature keep getting bounced into your onto the top of your deck. Um, it just slows down your draw so much. So it's really it's just really interesting. Like in Worlds Collide, there's cards that are all like maybe less powerful individually than something like Hunting Witch, uh, but at the same time, like you get to like a critical mass, and it's like okay, wait a second, like there's all these things. <laughs> I guess board matters now. It changes the type of decks you can bring. You know, the type of decks that are bubbling up to the surface. I think. Do you want to dive into the the decks? I think that's a good idea. Let's let's look let's talk first about the winning deck. Galaxy Tycho. Okay. So is this a two time winning Vault Tour deck now? That uh I think so. Had it won had it won a Vault Tour before? I know it had placed very highly before at least, but I was I didn't know if it had won before. Okay. So my question was gonna be like, do you think this deck could win a Vault Tour in a meta without Worlds Collide? And then that might I, be a stupid question if it already has one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, not knowing, not knowing the answer to that question, um, I, I'll just say like it, I, I think it's definitely possible. I think that Galaxy Tycho is a really strong deck. So what's funny is I played my deck Senbrow. I played against uh, Galaxy twice in uh, organized play, once in a side event, uh, and then once in the actual uh, Gen Con Archon event. Um, and both times, Sen Brown beat it. And both times, though, when we sat down to look at the list, um, I was like, I'm probably losing this game. Um, just because the un, the untamed suite in particular is really challenging for, for Sen Brown because it has double nature's call, which I think, uh, Nick, we've talked about, you know, bouncing much better in World Clyde Meta and here you go, double nature's call. Um, he has double F presence principle. He has gateway disc. Um, he's got Polder guys for artifact control, a single control the week, double mother. I mean, it's just a, I think it's just a deck that is, um, solidly placed. Um, what seems to be, I think, probably why it had a harder time before Worlds Collide is I think that the way that you beat this deck is you rush it out. Um, especially if he doesn't, if he doesn't draw into the untamed stuff early and he gets stuck with like the, the logos. Sweet, um, which is what uh, basically what happened in the game. I think that I beat it. Um, it just like he just I just won before he could draw into kind of the crazier combos with Untamed, um, or like develop. He didn't have time to really develop his library of the dam, um, and so I think that that's probably why world. You know, in a world where the meta slows down a lot, which I think World Collide has done that. I think the games are. Um, since World Clyde are longer, I think that's a place where Galaxy can really shine. It's a really powerful deck, but I think it needs a little bit of time to assemble pieces. Right. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And I think, I, I mean, sure, like, could this deck win a Vault Tour without any uh, World Clyde deck there? You know, probably that is in the realm of probabilities, but I think it's much harder if it's playing against a bunch of shadow-based rush decks yeah. because like like the coda one so this is a coda deck we should probably say and and it strikes me as like a very powerful deck uh but like traditionally those coda decks that are trying to rush to gain amber which this one certainly it's like maybe more of the tempo deck like it's got two effervescent principles it can fight on multiple axes so i want to give total credit to the deck like certainly it's not a straightforward just like play all your cards and get amber but i think like this deck does have a hard time if it's playing against you know six rounds of equally powerful decks that are maybe trading out the disc for shadows or something like that 
that's at the same time rushing is like stealing. Uh, I think those are like traditionally bad matchups. So, oh, that's a lot just to say, like, I think this deck is much better suited now than it would have been this time last year. I agree. And and it's funny how that how the world squad has changed that. It's like I've told a couple people this. I'm like, I haven't really played Senbrow very much since World Collide dropped because I it just I don't think that it has the tools to deal with uh Saurians and that's a that's a huge problem for a deck right now. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. All right, let's let's jump over to the uh second place deck. Also I wanna give a shout out to uh Team Reapout. So we're we're use, utilizing their uh, website right now to see the top place finishers so if you're interested in these i'll, I'll put a link to all the uh, deck lists in the show notes so thanks team rebound for compiling this the second place yeah. deck is a world's glide deck duke h gaunt vision and it's dis logos Sarian with triple tribute so when i first looked at this deck i actually was a little bit underwhelmed to be honest as i as i've kind of looked at it a little bit more it, it, it has definitely grown on me what i'll say is i think that this is a, a very skill intensive deck from just reading the list there's some very i think not obvious lines especially with double har- the double harbinger of doom yeah that's a tough card to get like max value out of so much of his stuff really wants him to like kind of have creatures like i mean all of the the tributes and the brackets and the Tribune Pompidus, like, if you have those things developed, you definitely don't want to play Harbinger of Doom, but it does have one of my favorite cards, E on the fringes, which is, like, I think, I think that that card is a sleeper. I really, like, I feel like people don't value that card enough and how powerful it is. I could be wrong about this, but I'm pretty sure that Justin from Tabletop Royale's deck had an E on the fringes, too, if I'm not mistaken. Another couple things... Just to highlight, is this has the Dis leader card, Lord Invidious, and the Logos leader card, Zenzi Zenzi Zenzik. <laughs> Sounding it yeah. out phonetically. I love these cards. I think one thing that is important in Keyforge overall that maybe isn't talked about enough is having those like really strong opening plays uh, where you can just get so much value early on that your opponent can just never catch up if they falter at all. And these two cards are both just so insane if you if they're your turn one play. Uh, like, I think I, I, one of my most played World's Collide deck has Lord Invidious in it. And there are plenty of games where if, if you play Lord Invidious turn one and your opponent doesn't have a, an immediate answer to it, it just, like, invalidates, like much of what they've kept in their hand yeah you can just outright you can outright win the game just off of a turn one invidious which is pretty crazy for for a card to be that you know that strong um and he's i mean he's even good you know if you draw him later that's what's so nice i mean he's a five strength elusive you know like that's that's hard to deal with right so strong cards and and i think when you're playing a tournament over many rounds having some some kind of just like oh i just got this perfect draw uh and and my opponent couldn't do anything is important for also your like mental acuity you know it's nice to have those like breezy rounds to sort of like stay sharp because it's hard to just focus hard all day so i'm not sure if that happened of course in this event but like having a deck with that capability i think helps you from like the player standpoint too getting a higher roll win here or there will just help you maintain uh, mental mental faculties and like having to not always be every game have to be deep in the tank on th- thinking down the lines, you know, mm-hmm. um, which this deck definitely seems like it has that. I can see worlds where this deck can just go off. It seems like to me you want to draw like the logos uh, in the beginning to kind of accelerate the rest of your game. And then you like get some, you get some card draw going, you get some setup and then you either go, you deal with the board with this, or you uh, um, just go crazy with the the Farian suite. Um, what's no, a thing that I'll point out too that was notable that this is what really brought the deck together. Why I saw why it's so good is it has you know double Harbinger. I would actually call Lord Invidious kind of a, a creature control card. Um, thorium twin Thorium Plasmate Twin Bolt Emission, um, and then axiom and regrettable meteor 
I think the regrettable meteor in particular was probably a really good call for this event. I bet that did. I, I would guess I didn't watch all of his games, but I would guess I did a lot of work for him all day. Yeah, I have a great point. Lots of really good creature control in there, um, which is going to be more important now than ever. Let's just really quickly touch on the the other two decks in the top four. So, so we also have uh, a second uh, Worlds Collide deck with Logos, Sari, and Star Alliance. This is Crony Helga Regisist. And, I mean, this to me strikes me as like the kind of deck that you're going to see a lot at the top tables if you're planning to go to a Archon, Vault, or Prime soon. This is just kind of like, to me, I look at this and I just see like, yeah, that's like <laughs> really good Star Alliance, really good Saurian, really good Logos, the best three houses in the new set. And, you know, it's got a lot of the hits. It's got an Edai, it's got double Tau Tau Vapors, double Titan Guardian. There's another uh, Zeni Zenizek. So shout out to that card for getting two copies into the top four. Uh, double Library Apollosaurus and a Golden Spiral, double Imperial Scutum. Double Science Officer Quinken, um, a Calm Officer Kirby, a Red Alert, just, you know, super solid, good stuff deck. That Maverick Cauldron Boil. Right, yeah. <laughs> I wonder if that was good. Cauldron Boil is an interesting, it's a funny card. I feel like just randomly it'll be amazing, but most of the time it's just an Amber Pip. But, uh, yeah. I, I, I would, I would, I would guess it did one game. It really did something amazing, but. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Xeno training too. That that card's pretty. Yeah. pretty Xeno training is pretty good. I think it's a it's a it's a really reasonable card, especially like with quadricorder. Um, uh, you know, kind of getting some double value off of having houses represented there. Yeah, um, yeah. This is. I agree with you though. I think the this deck feels like it's all about the Sarian and the logos. I would say that the the Star Alliance is a it, it just isn't hurting the deck. It's doing solid things for sure. But man, the the logos in particular of this deck is just I could see why this this did well. It's, that logos alone probably pulls a lot of this stuff together. Definitely agree. Great point. Okay, last and not least, but maybe least <laughs> most interesting. I think definitely the most interesting. So there was actually an. AOA deck that makes the top four with a really interesting game plan that I didn't really even understand at first glance. Like I've like posted it in our Discord. I was like, "Will somebody please explain to me like why this deck is good?" Uh, and somebody did explain it to me. So I guess the game plan here is you've got the Sting, and then in Untamed you have a Choda Hazri, and then just a ton of ways to recur it and play it again with double Nature's Call, double Song of Spring, and a regrowth. So you just play the Sting and, and never sacrifice it. Yeah, you just leave the Sting out all game. That's that's actually, this is a really, I I feel like this is a really gutsy play. Like, I mean, I, I, I give credit to who, you know, the guy that put this, fielded this deck because I would have felt real nervous about this game plan. Right, and like, I, I, I would be super curious. Like, maybe we can find the player and reach out to him because I'd be really curious. Or maybe they're listening to this podcast and they can reach out to us. But I'd be curious if this was, like, their plan going into the event since it was survival. If they're like, this is my best deck. You know, I'm putting it in slot three and conceding to get to it. Or if it was, like, I put my best deck in slot two and <laughs> they both lost. Yeah, yeah. And I ended up on this one and then I... It, it was this, being was like, this just like their last ditch effort? They're like, they're, this is their Hail Mary deck. They're like, if all else has failed, I'll just take this. I mean, because honestly, I can see this throwing a lot of people for a loop because it's such a off the wall kind of game plan. Right. Um, and especially if you don't have artifact control, you may not have a lot of ways to interact with what he's doing. It's kind of, I mean, if you, you got to forge keys and if he gets the thing out, you're just kind of like, well, I, I don't, you just have to try to, hopefully you have your own key cheat to try to race them out, but, um. Or artifact I, I, destruction, right? Like, doesn't, yeah, this deck yeah. seems like it just kind of folds to a hawk, right? It's just like. Yeah. One uh, hawk. Well, you got me. Everything. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, uh, I mean, super interesting. Double Untamed Ambassador, too. Like, yeah. that seems pretty good here if they, if, I mean, it's just like another thing you have to kill since all this deck wants to do is cycle Untamed stuff. Man, I look at this list and I really am. I'm like, 
this guy was playing out of his mind. I really feel that. I mean, if he gets this thing out, it's, it seems like it's fairly straightforward of what to do, but I mean, there's a lot of, there seems like there's a lot of hard choices here about like when to play certain, like honestly, just like staying in the game. Like this is a deck that I definitely think could not have, could not have made it very far in a Coda AOA only world. I don't think that this, I think that this deck would have just gotten blown out of the water when like half the people are running Coda Rush. Right. But when the, again, when the game is slower, he has a little bit of time to get the thing out, has a little bit of time to kind of develop um, the board or just to like stay in there to keep playing cards, drawing to um, this eventual combo. But man, um, well done, sir. Also like, just the last thing I'll say about this deck is like triple whistling darts is like a hilariously oh, yeah. on the nose meta call. Like people talk yeah. about like, oh yeah, like go through your past deck. Some cards get a little bit better, like whistling yeah. darts. So if you don't know, it's the shadows card in AOA that deals one damage to each enemy creature and gives has an amber pip. So it's just like destroys all the wards. I mean, it's, you know, so it's just funny to see that like, you know, we talked about like this card gets a little better and like here it is, three of them showing up in the top four of a vault tour. He's got the whistling darts. He's got the double nature's call. This guy was teched. Yeah. Again, worlds collide. We should give credit because it's totally possible that this player did have this in slot three and was like, yeah. you know what? This is my day two meta call. Yeah. I mean, if, if I, I don't know if that was the case, but I, I could definitely see, yeah, like I could definitely see a world where this was an intentional, um, call to kind of combat because I can see why. It has a lot of things that would would be good against World Collide. It has a lot of tools to deal with um, some of the bigger threats that World Collide can present. So, yeah, definitely credit to uh, to uh, the owner. And if you if you do if you do listen to the podcast, do reach out. We'd love to we'd love to chat with you about this deck. It's really interesting. Yeah, definitely. Well, I think that wraps up our discussion of the meta impact of. Baltor Albany and sort of our key takeaways. Do you have any final thoughts on that? Or are you ready to move on to our second topic? Uh, yeah, I think we can move on to our second topic. Uh, I will say one last thing. If you're in the Discord, you can, somebody in our Discord has done a really great job of putting together stats of the event. And one, one, I just want to pull this out. Uh, the house breakdowns after PAX Unplugged and, uh, Albany in the top 16. So, uh, the notable things here, I think, are, Robnar, 9% in top 16 at both events. Um, Logos, 69%, uh, which is that currently the highest house breakdown since post-World Collide. So Shadows is only 63%. That makes sense, though, because Logos is like top three in all sets. Yeah. Uh, Logos is still, is, was always one of the better houses in Coda. Maybe not the best, but definitely up there in top houses. And I, I, I kind of have started to feel that Logos may be the strongest house in World Collide, which I didn't when I initially was looking at all the cards. That was not the, the not the jump that I would have made. Well, that's a good, it's a good segue into yeah. the next topic, I think. Sorry, yeah. Do you want to say the rest of the percents? Cause it's interesting. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, let, let me break this down for everybody. Um, so, okay. So we have Brobnar 9%, Disc 34%, um, Logos 69 Sad Mars is at 3%. Oh, no. <laughs> um, Sanctum, poor Sanctum 2, 6%. Shadow, 63. Um, Untamed and Saurian, both at 41%. And then this one is a little bit surprising to me. Star Alliance at 34%. Wow. I think that, I think that makes sense. I think Star Alliance can actually have quite a few bad lineups. Well, obviously, there's also like, like they don't get the benefit, like Untamed just get the benefit of maybe just being in top finishing World's Glide deck that doesn't really care about the Untamed, yeah. right? Yeah. Where it's like, there's not just going to be like a sad Star Alliance house in a Coda deck, unfortunately. Exactly. Yeah. And I mean, this does include Coda decks and Untamed is still one of the, you know, very, very good Coda houses and the, the you know, um, Sarians being 41% is pretty significant if you really think about it because that's like with all of the Coda deck still Sarian made it into, you know, Sarian made it into the, into a top percentage. All right. Well, let's, let's jump into our second topic. So let's see how to, how to set this up. I guess we're talking about how much skill 
there is in Keyforge versus how much luck when you're trying to do well in a top event. Yeah, I think so. And I mean, like, so uh, for me, the re- so the reason this question came up is I've noticed that I feel like this question always comes up after vault tours. Um, I don't know if you you feel that way, Jake, but I've noticed that like particularly every time a vault tour happens, we see somebody on either like the Facebook group or um, in you know some Discord somewhere will bring up this conversation of how much does um, are these people who are winning a lot are their decks just that much better? Are they that much more skilled? What's the breakdown between those two things? I thought it was really interesting, and especially talking about with Worlds Collide. The secondary question to the topic that I wrote is Worlds Collide OPOP. Here's where I'll start it, and I'll ask you this question, Jake. Do you think that swing states in Keyforge are good for the game? So, and I'll, I'll set it, I'll set up the question a little bit. So you, you know, you've mentioned Sarian. Um, Sarian has a lot of cards that swing a, a, a lot, a large amount of amber, particularly tribute, but also cards like city state interest. And they can do this thing where suddenly, you know, you're at check, you're at like seven amber, um, and you're on check. And then suddenly you've lost four of your amber. Um, they've put down a Senator Brackus or they tributed it on the Senator Shrix or something. And now they're threatening check with your amber. Is that a bad thing for Keyforge? Is that overpowered? What What do you think about that? That's such a tough question, and I, I think I want to be like really hesitant to call anything overpowered at at this point in the game. But I, I think it's an interesting question about because I think what you're really asking is like, is that fun? Yeah, I think I, I side more towards like that's not what I play Keyforge for. I would rather have a more like nuanced back and forth battle where like if I'm making good decisions and building up a strong board state and I'm, you know, getting value out of my cards, that matters. And I think sometimes these huge effects, whether characterized that way fairly or unfairly, make it seem like all that build up didn't really mean anything because they just played tribute and then like axiom my board. And that's like quintessential to the game of Keyforge. And and a lot of people, like, that's what they love about it. You know, that's why they like Keyforge more than any other game, because it allows for these huge swing states. And then you can play one of your own and get right back in the game. Uh, I think that's like 100% valid to find joy in that. Just like for me, that's not what I love about it. Yeah, there's a lot of why do you in the when we're in this topic. There's a lot of why do you play Keyforge? What do you like about Keyforge? Um, what strategies are appealing to you? So at the chainbound I played in Florida, a player uh, I believe his name was Joe. So shout out to him. Um, he brought up this question and he he said to me like, okay, so bait and switch got nerfed, right? Isn't tribute a little bit like how bait and switch used to be? I didn't necessarily agree with that um, because tribute is something that can be responded to, um, whereas bait and switch was, it just happened to you. Um, the only way that you could respond to it was by either having a bait and switch of your own or having like a too much to protect or, you know, some sort of amber response, which is actually less common. But having a creature control response tends to be a little bit easier. But I agree with you. What tribute does in particular is it said, it says, you answer this question, especially in the cases where they've comboed it with something where they can spend the amber. It says, you answer this. Assuming they don't already answer it for yes. you with exile or something. Yes. If they have the, if they have the really nuts combos, you can, uh, you may not be able to respond to it, but oh, a lot of times, most of the Saurian lineup have, you have at least some time to answer it but here's what i'll say uh, about this why i'm kind of all right with it is i do think that logos is the strongest house because logos tends to make every deck that it's in better not always not a hundred percent but i would say that most of the common cards um edai tau tau vapors um even titan guardian are just inherently really strong cards and you don't have to do anything really to make them very good. Um, Saurian lineups require, I think, a couple of specific cards to be viable competitively. And I would think that those cards are specifically Imperial Scudum, Capilegion Ideal, Trix, Brachus, Imperial Forge. 
Yeah. And Ludo. And Ludo. Yeah. I don't, I mean, I don't disagree with you at all. And I think every time we, people talk about, uh, like, what are the best decks, it's important to add the nuance of, like, on average or, yeah. like, in yeah. the ideal lineup. Cause it's gonna I mean, be there's always, there's always going to be decks that, like, break this, which is fun. I mean, that's actually right, a, right, great, right. a great part about Keyforge. But it, 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 it does become a thing of, like, where do we hope that the game goes as it evolves? even more i think that tribute in particular feels really bad to lose to it is a it's a feels bad moment a lot of the time because you're like i did all this work and they played right. one one card and to to be honest uh, when i was seeing all the cards revealed for worlds collide i was so excited because it seemed like they were really make. and this is going to kind of take it back to like this question of skill is that it like really was going to make the decision space meatier. And I think that it has in many cases, but I think more than I expected with Worlds Glide, those decisions don't necessarily dictate the out- outcome of the game because there are like more, it feels like, of these giant swing effects, particularly in Saurian. For that reason, like I'm kind of cooling on it. So like what I want out of the game, I would hope that we keep the decision space really in depth, but maybe like with smaller impact. Yeah. They're in a, a weird spot, you know, because of the evergreen promise in particular, like the promise that basically all sets will always be playable. Right. But they, I mean, whatever. That's garbage. They're already like gone back on that with the yeah, yeah. rotation, like whatever. Yeah. <laughs> They're still, I think that they have to keep, you know, and they, they're designing around casual players a lot, not exclusively, but I think that they are like, they're keeping them in mind very heavily, um, which is, makes sense. I mean, and honestly, it's good for the game. If ca- like we want casual players to like it and to have oh. a good time playing it. Um, but it, it's a good question because I think that tribute is a card that feels worse for casual players than it does for competitive players. Because you know, right. I get tribute in it, and I'm just like, that happens. You know, yeah. I lost, uh, I lost the sealed event that I played uh, to tribute Brackus, Um and I was just like, well, that happened. Um, right. You know, and I just, you just, as a competitive player, you just kind of shrug those things off because you know it's just, it's just part of the game. Those things will happen sometimes. It's also like because you you play enough to be on both sides of it. Like you, you yeah. get you get like the balance and the variance where it's like if you're a casual player, just like play like once every every so often and like this time it was a bad experience because of this like massive blowout. This is like the first time in two months you played and you lose to some crazy combo. You can it could be really easy to feel like, well this game's just about like having these certain crazy things and you know, uh that was this is I think that's what tends to happen um, with, and I'm not saying always, and I'm not even saying that there's, what I want to say is there's a heavy, there's a heavy influence of uh, variance in keyboards, right? It's card game. So by its nature, there's definitely elements of luck. And what, what I think, um, and what I, what I, what I really don't hear players talking about enough, though, I think with the player skill question is I think that deck evaluation is a skill right and knowing what deck to bring to an event like that player like we can even talk about the aoa deck like what we're saying like if that was a meta call that was really that took a lot of thought he had to practice that deck see how it worked against both coda and aoa he had to he had to place it in his lineup in a very particular place so that it would be played on day two. Like he specifically, he, I don't know if it was his last deck or not, but I mean, either way, he specifically placed it in his lineup, right? And he specifically placed it towards the end, either second or third. And that, that's like an intentional choice. And I think that that is still like even Galaxy or Duke, the other two, you know, the, or, uh, what was the other one? I bolted all of those decks. Players had to make choices. They had to make choices against other decks. Um, and those are strong decks, but the skill came, there was some skill, there was a lot of skill that came in before the choosing part. Cause it's really hard to choose, um, our, uh, survival lineup or even a solo archon. Right. You know, what deck you're going to play. So I, I think that that is skill. And that's kind of the argument that I would make is to people who are feeling like, oh, the deck strength is just the most important thing. I'm like, Hey, but they had to 
either if they bought it or they traded it, they had to recognize the value of that deck where maybe other people did or didn't. And they had to go out and find it and then they had to choose it for their lineup. So there's skill in that. That is a, that is still a skill, <gasps> even though it can feel like when they show up to the event, well, they like, oh, they just had this, you know, broken, overpowered deck or something. But like, no, they did a lot of, we don't, you don't see all the right. work that came in. That's a great point. The like you, you go to an event and you lose to somebody because you got like blown out by like, you know, a seemingly like ideal deck that hits its combos and you're like, oh, geez, like, well, what kind of, but you don't see like, okay, well, they've like practiced with that deck 200 times and like, you know, they were able to play perfectly yeah. around like, you know, the challenges that your deck posed to it because they would like recognize that in your Archon card and, you know, they mulligan their hand that they knew wasn't going to be good against that. Like, you, you don't see all the practice and effort. And I think, like, especially if you're, like, somebody who maybe you play Keyforge weekly even, you just show up to your chain-bound event and have a good time, you're trying out different decks. Like, I would encourage everyone to, like, pick a deck or favorite time and like go play it 30 times uh on the crucible or more especially if you're somebody who's like there's too much luck in this game because every time i've done that it's like i'm so like even still i'm like surprised in how much i discover about the deck and like how much better my win percentage becomes over time i've been at the point where i'm like how do i continue to grow as a player uh, i started picking up decks that i had kind of shelved a while back. And it, it is a funny thing that you say that, Jake, because all of a sudden I'm finding like these decks that I could never make work before. I just like something, you know, something in my mental play has shifted, something in my, my kind of forethought of how I plan out my turns and how I plan out the game has changed as I've grown as a player. And suddenly these decks that didn't really work for me before do work. Not a hundred percent. Cause like, you know, most of the decks that I'm looking at are like, and I want to say, I do want to acknowledge this, at least, so people don't think that I'm not saying this. Deck strength is a thing. Like, there definitely is levels of deck strength. And I don't think that any deck is unbeatable that I have seen. I think all decks some weakness, even if it's to particular cards or particular lineup. What I want to say is the best decks in Keyforge just have a higher percentage chance to do well. It's just like, I'm not even going to put a number on that, but that's what I think a, a really strong deck is like. It's like, it's just this deck on average is going to win more games than something maybe a little bit less powerful. But that doesn't mean it's unbeatable. And it doesn't mean when you sit down, you know, and you're reading the Archon, you should just give, you know, give up. The mental game of Keyforge is a real thing. And if you look at a list and you're intimidated, that can really affect how you play out the match. So I just, I try to go into every game believing like, hey, even if, I do feel like there's a deck power disparity here. I'm going to at least give it my all and, you know, try, see what I can do to, to make it happen. And, and you learn a lot in that space. Yeah. And even if your deck is on average worse than another deck, it doesn't mean on day two of a vault tour, yeah. that's going to be the case. I mean, like, again, like we look back at that AOA deck that, you know, both of us looking at yeah. are like, is this a strong deck? Like, well, yeah, it is, but not probably on average compared to many of the decks it beat out. And I mean, you said this, he must have had a little bit of matchup, matchup luck, because I don't know if he faced somebody with artifact control, but somehow he, he dodged the artifact control game, um, either through skill or through just, you know, kind of getting lucky with what decks he was matched up against. But um, that's still, you know, that's a thing that happens. Like that's not in his, that's then none of our controls what decks we get matched up against. And sometimes that just happens. You get good matchup variants and uh, your deck can really, sh even those decks that are a little bit off the wall can really shine. And I think that just speaks to the, this, the larger point here, which is like, I, I really do think that these discussions that happen are great and it's important, the game and people should definitely keep engaging in like, okay, well, how much is skill? How much is luck? Because I think that's some of the most interesting yeah. things about this game and like this new form of distribution. So this is not to belittle that. No, no, not at all. I think it's a great question. But yeah. clearly it's both. It's luck and it's skill. Yeah, absolutely. You need you need both of those factors. And we can't like, I mean, I think the reason it will continue to be brought up and the discussion will center around it is because 
it's a very difficult question to answer. It doesn't really have, I don't think there's any definitive answer that anybody can give on this. It's so much of, and one of the great things about Keyforge is every game has all of these factors involved, right? We have deck strength, we have player skill, we have draw variants, matchup variants, um, and all of those factors come in and they make a really unique experience every time we sit down to the table. Um, and I think that that's what's, I think that's a really exciting thing. And, you know, if there are any new players who are listening, I would just say like, don't, the, the trick is not letting it frustrate you, but, uh, letting it be a thing that I, and this is kind of my, my, just like my mental thought process on stuff. Like when I lose and I'm like, man, that seemed like I got really high rolled there or something. I just always try to think about what, what did I do? Was, was there any decisions that I made in the game that could have been different? Um, that might have changed the outcome. And if it was, if it was genuinely like, hey, they drew 11 of 12 discards, there's not much you can do against that. Um, but like, you right. know, if there were decisions you could have made differently, find those, um, grow as a player and you'll, you'll just be a lot better off and you'll find, you know, that's a, that's a weird, like, as I, I feel like as I've played Keyforge more where I've started to like, you just hit those, you know, those, uh, level up moments. Um, and a lot of that comes through, honestly, through the, the losing games and through those times where I really had to work through, okay, like, what did I do in the game that made X, Y, or Z happen? Or what could I have done to make X, Y, or Z happen? Definitely. I completely agree with everything you said. So I don't want to just gloss over that. But uh, I guess my, I, I want to add sort of my final thoughts on this topic before we wrap up here, which is that. All I know is like when it comes to player skill, like the players I'm most scared to play against and the ones that I lose to the most are the ones that just grind all day and play a ton of games on uh, TCO and and are constantly attending vault tours and uh, playing their local events. And so like to me, like the fact that like the more you play seemingly, the harder you are to beat, like that is a pretty good indicator that uh, skill plays like weighs very heavily on the outcome of the game. And especially when you look at that outcomes of game over time. The other thing I wanted to add is what are we talking about when we talk about skill? I think it's the ability to play better than somebody else. And and I think that's a little bit of a moving target in Keyforge, uh, which can perhaps like change the way people think about this. So like when when the game first came out, I think it plays so differently than so many other collectible card games that for whatever reason, I was able to like grok it pretty quickly and I would just stomp people <laughs> at locals like very, very consistently just because people were doing things that were like, that were just not right. Like, you know, that were objectively bad and didn't make sense, like holding cards in their hand forever. Um, and, and that was like one of the things that like prompted me to like get into content creation about this. Like, wait a second, like why are people doing these things? And I think as the game has grown and, and the competitive scene has grown and like all these awesome, super strong players and teams have, have you know, come out and, and they've like really uh, taken on like a teaching role in their communities, like both online and in person. Um, that's like, average player skill in Keyforge now if you go to an event like even more so than like six months ago is just so much higher uh so you know if you're somebody who was maybe like doing well at the beginning and now are having a harder time that might feel like oh well like yeah this game's like now it's more about luck for whatever reason like worlds collide is is made it more luck based but like really that might just be the fact that like everyone is getting so much better and learning so much yeah. about the and game. And just like the, the overall understanding of the game has, def- I agree with that so much. The overall understanding of the game has just increased so much. And I think that will only, as time goes on, it will only grow. Um, and it's, so it's like, it's an encouragement though, of like, you know, basically keep on, keep on grinding out games. Like that's how it really is. That's how you get better. It's just by, I think a, a lot of times by volume. Um, and especially choose, I think, um, being, uh, playing, yeah, being, being intentional, intentional and finding, and, and finding players to play with who challenge you, um, 
it's like where the, the you know our discord community has been such a amazing thing for me of like our all we have a group of really incredible players who i'm constantly you know put on my toes when i you know uh we queue up a match on tco or something like i know okay this is not going to be just like a walk in the park or something this you know and i have to really think about what i do and uh regularly beat by some of some of our members so uh which is a really i mean honestly a really great thing and that's like i'm i'm glad to have that because that's the thing that makes you it makes you grow as a player. I think you said it. I think we could call it there, unless you have any final thoughts you're dying. No, to get I in. think that that was it. That was a that was a fun that was a fun topic. Yeah, that was a great topic. Yeah, and I think this is one that's sort of like evergreen. Yeah, in that we can we we should. It's important to revisit from time to oh, time. Oh, for sure. Especially as these big events happen, so to be continued. I think. Uh, I think we're both evolving as players and and as how we think about the game yeah, all the time. All right. Uh, well, thank you all so much for listening to this podcast. It feels great to get back to this like weekly recording schedule. Thanks so much, Alex, for uh, joining our humble little podcast here. You're such an incredible asset to our whole community and, and most certainly this podcast. Uh, my pleasure, for sure. I, I am very uh, privileged to be with beyond with you guys. Oh, come on. <laughs> Uh, well, anyway, my name is Jake Friedman. You can find me on Twitter at Jake Fried. That's just J-A-K-E-F-R-Y-D. Uh, I am Alex Slotnick. You can find me on Discord as the Nick of Slot, hashtag 6418. Uh, I also have, if you ever want to drop me an email, I have the Nick of Slots at gmail.com. Yeah, catch me, catch me on Discord or something. Awesome. All right. Uh, and I guess last thing here is we always... If for any new listeners we may have we always have the link to our discord in the show notes this podcast so please come on in uh we always love to have new people we don't have dan here so i guess uh <laughs> how are we supposed to end this i don't, I don't know. know what do we what do we do we're without dan uh should i give it a shot go go for <laughs> it i want to get archons of the crucible <laughs> thank you for listening to this podcast it is always very fun to record and think about how good decks are versus players versus luck this has been another episode and until next time as always forge those keys